Welcome in to episode 124 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stadman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Anglisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, Angelo, we are back in late 90s WCW uh, during the period where WCW was absolutely owning the shit out of WWF. We are at WCW Great American Bash 1997, which... I, I I don't know how you will respond to this take. Uh, I would say is by far the best WCW, like 90s WCW, like like post-NWO uh, WCW show that we have ever done because they don't do any stupid shit in it. It is literally just like nine matches. There's like no angles. There's like one kind of stupid public enemy promo. Like, Mean Gene shills the hotline a couple times, and then the rest of it is uh, wrestling. And, like, some of the wrestling sucks, but some of it's actually pretty good. Um, And uh, you kind of just, you get in and you get out. Not a lot of stuff to, like, really just, you know, make you want to jump out a window. It's the wrestling show. I don't know. That Public Enemies promo uh, made me really want to jump out a window. Yeah. uh, Or at least through a table, because, oh, my God, I lost so many brain cells. Like, that was really weird. It made no sense. None of their – well, I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Like, I actually – no, I didn't actually really write down m- many notes about it because I just wrote, like, the public enemy speaking gibberish for, like, five minutes and then they leave. So I don't even, like, really know what to say about it. It was well, bad. It, it didn't need to happen. I don't know why it happened. Who it, thought this was a good idea? They were trying to be funny and, and none of the comedy hit whatsoever. None. But we have some rest – like, I like you know, the, the, the main event is uh, as good as you can expect for an old Randy Savage match, right? Uh, you've got a pretty good opener, you know, cruiserweight opener, as you would expect. A the, banger uh, women's match. Women's match was really, really good. Um, and you have a bunch of other stuff that, like, is at worst, like, kind of shitty, but, like, also, like, you know, not, like, like, not, like, the worst thing you've ever seen, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, you can watch it and, like... Like, you'll be like, yeah, this is bad, but I'm going to forget about this in a half hour. You know what I mean? It's not going to like it's not going to haunt me for the for like the foreseeable future. So, uh, yeah, I think for what like the reasons you laid out makes sense, because, yes, this is very much like it's NW NWO heavy, but it doesn't have a lot of the NWO hijinks. Well, not really. I, I mean, really. In, the, in the main event, it is. They have got you've got it's it is what it is, right? It's a WCW show. You the last two matches were always NWO related, and then you'll get like a NWO run in or something happened during the during the show, which we get. But like, that's it. I mean, like the the show it's is tame, very tame. Two hours and fifty minutes. About two twenty of that has nothing to do with the NWO at all. I, I guess fair. <laughs> I, yeah, the, the tag match has NWO uh, implications. Well, the, like the like the first tag match. Yes. Well, yeah, because they're they're going to challenge the outsiders or whatever, and it's like you get a run in, you know, like, like like I said, you would usually get like an additional run in or promo, but and then yeah, like the last two matches, like the main like the main event two matches are always going to have like an end like you know you're going to have an NWO match, you're probably going to have like the outsiders teaming, or you're going to have Hogan, or you're going to have somebody, you know, we've got Savage in the main event, but like. On the whole, there's not that much NWO shit here. No, I, I, I said like two hours and twenty minutes or so of this two and a half, two hour and fifty minute long show have nothing to do with the NWO angle at all. 
And most of it, and, and, and most, most, and most of it's just good wrestling. Like, it, I mean, good wrestling. Like, it, 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 and, and there's three matches here that like probably have not aged well. Two of which are probably like you had to be there. One of which was never going to age well. Um, but for the most part, it was a, a good show. It was focused on the pro wrestling. It wasn't as bonkers crazy as typical uh, WCW pay per views were in this era. It was very tame. Uh, which you know, God bless America. That the Great American Bash was just all about honor and integrity because yeah. that's what America stands for. Damn it! I remember when I was a kid, and you know the Great American Bash was like the biggest holiday in America. You know, mm-hmm. you would you would go out with your family and have and have like like get-togethers for the Great American Bash. You know, and it, it just it just represented simple American values, right? And now nowadays it's like, you know, we, we've lost that in this country. We don't have a great American bash. No, we don't. We don't. I, all of our all of our American bashes, they suck dick now. They're all terrible. They're only on NXT last now. Time, last time. When was the last time you had an American bash that you would say was really, truly great? Can't when, say- I mean, I, I don't even know, like 2000, like you know, nine, maybe. Maybe. Certainly not, certainly not since Obama became president. <laughs> certainly not since Obama took off. Of course not. God damn Obama. Last I, I all of my American bashes have been decidedly not great lately, especially lately, you know, especially lately. We're on a bad run here, folks. But this American bash, I would say, if not great, was at least it was fine. You know, uh, they had a they you know, they had a, they had a picnic set up. <laughs> I love the picnic setup. It's like they I didn't notice it until the fucking main event and then it's like wait, why is DDP hitting him with a like a picnic table? Like, why the fuck is that there? Like it was there the whole it was there the whole time. They had this like picnic fucking setup on the on like in like the corner of the stage. That I just did you notice that before then? Because I did I, not. I and I didn't care that I didn't because it, it certainly lived up to the high. It was like Chekhov's picnic table. It was a nice like surprise at the end where it was like, oh, like I, you know, they've they've just got a picnics. They got a they got like a just a fucking picnic deal over here. I'm also losing my mind a little bit because I love this poster. It says give him a nice warm hug on Father's Day. The great American bash. That's the poster they have on the Wikipedia page. (laughs) Just very funny uh, Americana, we'll say. Did this take place on? I mean, it took place in June. June 15th. On that day i believe i would say so i don't know why they would put it on the poster if it wasn't like at, like a few days before or a few days after or the I, day of i googled father's day 1997 and it came up with a 1997 movie called father's day what starring robin williams billy crystal and julia lewis dreyfus that sounds vaguely familiar heard of this movie big box office bomb here uh, looks like pr- for like a studio comedy in the '90s, pretty big fucking budget. Jesus. <laughs> Directed by Ivan Reitman, the director of uh, Ghostbusters. Um, twenty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. We are so far off the rails. We've gotten to Rotten Tomatoes scores. I'm gonna look up if I can see this movie anymore. Father's Father's Day, 1990. It did not answer my question of what day Father's Day was that year. Uh, no, it's not on anything. Um, but yeah, no, I have no idea what day Father's Day. Oh, you know, yeah, here it is. It was on June 15th that year. So they literally just did it on Father's Day. 
and they, they do mention it a couple times, right? They like I think the the announcers or the announcers say stuff about like Happy Father's Day or whatever. But but you uh, can say that for the same thing. Like they can say Christmas on Friday and say I wish everyone a happy Christmas. A happy Christmas. What are happy. we in Great Britain now, Angela? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Come on. Whatever. I was thinking Happy Father's Day, Merry Christmas. In my great American bash, Angelo. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not American enough. Damn it. Well, Angelo, it sounds like we are ready to remember some guys. Let's now. remember some guys, David. Great segue. Let's let's remember some guys. It is. Uh, let's remember some, you know, it's Father's Day 1997. I'm sure some of these men are fathers and let's remember them. Uh, it is June 15th. 1997 we are at this is a name of a uh a fucking uh, that i've never heard of before the mark of the quad cities in moline illinois uh no idea what the fuck that is uh we've got 9613 people in the building for the great american bash 1997 uh intro package america the land of the free Home of the Brave and the site of WCW's Great American Bash. Marka. That's what we in this country are are proudest for. And uh, yeah, when they have this this whole big thing in the intro about like how how DDP is like is the has realized the American dream. DDP is the American working class in <laughs> embodied in one man. He is he is he has realized the American dream. Um, when he came over on the boat from New Jersey and landed at Ellis Island, he realized the American dream. Yeah, by the way, Josh Dobbs is about to win this fucking game. I, yeah, I saw. <laughs> Badass. Um, so we've got the classic uh, commentary booth. Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Dusty Rhodes. On Goat the- booth. Greatest boot- booth of all time. Really, really blessed booth here. And we've got a really hot looking cruiserweight action. To start off this match, it is a quote-unquote battle of respect, which I don't really know what that means specifically in terms of this match, but it is Ultimo Dragon taking on Psychosis. Psychosis, the great luchador, being accompanied by Ultimo Dragon's former manager and manager of every Japanese wrestler in WCW and, uh, not so coincidentally, extremely racist Japanese caricature... Sonny Ono, who is accompanying Psychosis, he wants revenge on Ultimo Dragon for, uh, I guess, getting like ditching him and like no longer retaining his services as a manager. Um, by the way, when we start off, literally first thing I noticed, shout out to all the dudes in the front row who were wearing matching Sting shirts. Those yes. guys fucking rule. Um, but yeah, this this match is as you would expect: Psychosis, Ultimo Dragon. This shit is really, really good between two great workers. Starts slow. Psychosis really kind of like, you know, stalling and working, like really kind of working a uh, like a more typical American heel style throughout at least the first part of this match before it really starts going. Um, Crowd really reacting to uh, Ultimo Dragon as well as a babyface. They're definitely like they definitely seem to be buying him as a babyface. Dragon really lighting him up with a bunch of cool kicks. He hits this awesome like Atlantida into a backbreaker. That was fucking sick. And then misses a dive to the floor. Sonny Ono beats him up while the referee isn't looking. And then Psychosis gets heat on him. Yeah, I, I, I had it written down later in my notes. 
I'm like, yeah, psychosis is really working like more of a typical, like kind of ground it, slow it down American heel style. And then like, as I typed that he wrote, he did a diving guillotine leg drop on the apron. I was like, <laughs> like, let's fucking go for it. Let's, let's do the cool shit. Um, so yeah, uh, we get, we get, you know, dragon tries to go after Sonny Ono on the outside and the psychosis is able to cut him off again. Dragon gets a big comeback springboard back elbow in the corner. The acai moonsault to the floor. Big brain buster. Fucking phenomenal brain buster from Ultimo Dragon. Hits a tombstone pile driver. Psychosis comes back with a huge, crazy top rope spinning heel kick. And then a big dive over the top rope. There's this great, like, all these great, like, back and forth at the end of the match. Um, Dragon hits this rolling Rana into a pin that Psychosis reverses into a pin. He kicks out. We've got... uh, Psychosis goes for a step up moonsault and then Dragon catches him out of midair with a drop kick. Uh, then Ultimo Dragon hits a Frankensteiner. He goes for a tiger suplex. Sonny Ono extracts him. Psychosis is able to get out. He hits a missile drop kick. And then the finish of the match um, Ultimo Dragon reverses a whip into Sonny Ono. They collide on the apron and then Dragon locks him in the Dragon Sleeper and Psychosis taps out. And Ultimo Dragon wins the match in 14 minutes and 20 seconds. Again, really hot opener. Ultimo Dragon's fucking great. Uh, and once this match got going, it was really exciting. Oh, yeah. And the crowd really got into it, too, which is something that sometimes hit or miss with the Lucha undercard. Uh, most of the time it does hit, but there's been times like we've uh, watched these pay-per-views and the crowd just doesn't really get into either guy. Yeah, but, you I, know, I feel like a lot of the time it's like, like the action, if it gets hot enough, like they'll react to like what the moves are doing. But it's it's less often that they'll like be into like necessarily really care about like the guys in particular. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like they cared about Ultimo Dragon as a babyface more than a, like more than they do a lot of the time. I do think Psychosis played a role in that because he really did like to start off this match, be a real chicken shit, slow it down heel. Like you said, I mean, for the most part, he's playing that American heel style where he's not really doing anything exciting. It's all grounded. It's all to slow the pace of the match down and then Ultimate Dragon trying to really pick up the pace and hit those high flying moves until like the very end where they're just trading Lucha spot for Lucha spot. Um, you know, like Dragon's kicks are some of the best kicks I've seen in wrestling, which can be a mixed bag. Sometimes kicks look really good. And then sometimes you're like, why are you doing this? Why is it in your repertoire? Um, I, I don't know. This felt like a very, you know, logical feud from the fact that, like, you know, don't know why Sonny turned an Ultimate Dragon, but it was kind of like Ultimate Dragon doesn't really need him. So he's going to pair off with Psychosis, who's this really young guy who could pre- maybe use some establishing. Um, also, the fact that Psychosis looked like a uh, reject DBZ character with his armor. A little bit of a little bit of a you know, perhaps you could call Sonny owner like a, like a Don Callis type situation. Oh. You know, it's like, hey, Kenny Omega, uh, you, you 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 rejected me. So now I'm coming back with another evil version of you to, to kill you. I you love know? the Don Callis family faction. It has all the guys I freaking love. That's fantastic. And Don Callis is such a piece of shit. I love it. Yeah. And Sonny Ono, you know, it, it, exemplified by being a more or less piece of shit as a manager. Um, again, very fun. The brain buster that Dragon hits on Psychosis was really like brutal looking. As good of a as good of a fucking brain buster as you yeah. will ever see. Yeah, super. Again, super fun match, David. You probably know a little bit more about this time frame than me. Were the Lucha guys ever featured in like the top part of the card for like the heavyweight oh. title? Kind of like how uh, uh, Penta sometimes will challenge like AEW champion. Nope, not really. Great. Why? Uh, why bother with that? <laughs> is someone like 
like like eventually guys like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho kind of graduated into like the mid card scene where you would see them like especially if they got a little bit bigger like would get to that point where like maybe they're wrestling for like the U.S. title you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like not really you know not really I mean like Ray Ray Mysterio another guy who kind of went from there to like the mid card but like they never, they never, yeah, no, that never happened at all. So dumb. Ultimate, Dra- Ultimate Dragons is such a freaking star every time. Not even fucking close, to be honest with you. Like, it's sort of not even a little bit. Such a joke. Such a joke. But so, yeah, this, this was super fun. WCW openers never fail to disappoint, even when they're like two random guys in the cruiserweight division. Yeah, Ultimate Dragon, uh, all things considered. When you when you look at the totality of his career and all the people that he trained and all the people he influenced, uh, one of the most uh, important wrestlers of all time. Like I like I, I have no fucking idea what pro wrestling looks like, like the style of pro wrestling and just like the landscape of it today looks like without Ultimo Dragon. If he's if he's just a different guy or doesn't exist, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Fucking crazy. Uh, and he looks, he of course is on fucking point and he's still wrestling today. He's like in his fifties and he's still good. He's only in his fifties. I think so. Yeah. I think Shit, he's way younger here than I thought he was. I thought he like, he was in his third, I guess 30 still makes sense, but I don't know. I thought he'd be like in the sixties by now. He's 56 years old today. So he would have been 30. Wow. His, yeah. Okay. So right in his fucking prime. Uh, but yeah, one of the, one of the all time goats, Ultimo dragon. Having a having a good one. Uh, next up, Chris Benoit is on the internet, folks. Uh, I, I always love when they would do this shit, like when they have like the nerds interviewing him backstage on like the fucking like they have like the WCW internet station or whatever. <laughs> and so next up, we've got two of WCW's most long-standing tag teams, Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers. Two like if you think WCW tag teams, you think these two teams right here, Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers. In what is apparently a number one contenders match, the winner we will face off at, I think it was the coming pay per view Slamboree. Well, I can't Slamboree, remember. I think it was. Slamboree. They Bash said it at the beach. Yeah, they said it a hundred times, and I don't remember what it was, but I think it was Slamboree. Maybe it was Bash at the Beach. Whatever. No, Bash at the Beach. Slamboree was before this. Yes, you're right. Slamboree was the previous one. Uh, the winners of this team will challenge the winners of tonight's tag team title match at Bash at the Beach. Um, and we've got, uh, this is a very funny late period Steiner brothers before they split up where you've got the combination of leather daddy, Rick Steiner and Scott, as he's really getting fucking freaky on the juice and is really starting to look like really inhuman. You know what I mean? I have his pop a pump levels here about 80%. Yeah. He's, he's really pop a pumpifying himself here. He's big baddie booty daddying himself pretty hard. Um, and he's getting there. He's not quite there, but he's really like he's really getting there. Um, so, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, like his his arms look fucking just comical. He looks swollen. I, it looks he looks really unhealthy, honestly. Um, but it's you know, it's it's uh, matches, you know, honestly, for most of it, you, you don't expect much. Uh, but the matches, you know, is, is, I think is pretty much as good as it's going to be. You get some cool, like, holy shit, look how strong the Steiners are spots. Um, Like, Scott hits a Northern Lights on Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray, who is enormous. I mean, Stevie Ray, you know, 
out of the two brothers, Stevie Ray was a a much worse wrestler, and I mean, really, just kind of worse at everything. But he was fucking huge, right? That was one thing he had going for him. That guy was fucking massive. Um, and Scott Steiner just launches him with this Northern Lights, where he just tosses him like he weighs a hundred pounds across the across the ring. It's crazy. Um, and then Rick hits him with this like huge power storm, where he like picks him up and holds him up all the way. Like, gets him way the fuck up there and drops him down. It looks crazy. Um, but mostly, like, yeah, a lot of a lot of standing around in this one. Um, Scott Steiner also hits another, uh, like, big double underhook suplex where he picks Booker T all the way up and then just drops him. And also hits a big gorilla press slam. So, yeah, Steiner's being really strong for the first part of this match. Uh, then he comes off the middle. Uh, this, this great combo of Booker T catching with the boot then spinnerooning up back to his feet and then hitting him with the jumping like leg lariat was fucking awesome. That's like, like this guy Booker T is the protagonist of wrestling type shit. Like that was really cool. Um, so they get uh some you know they 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 kind of go back and forth. Stevie Ray hits a Northern Lights bomb on Rick Steiner on the floor and that was like the most surprising thing I've ever seen. Um. They get heat on Rick Steiner for a while. They hit like a big, like kind of like a heart attack type move with a leg lariat instead of the clothesline for a like their big uh, double, like double team, uh, like falsy. And then uh, Rick catches Booker with a big back suplex, hot tag to Scott. Scott's throwing everyone around everywhere, uh, and uh, you know it's it's down to Scott and Booker. Scott Steiner hits the Frankensteiner, but. We are introduced to a new character in this match. It is Vincent from the NWO, formerly, of course, known as Virgil in the WWF. I guess what they were kind of trying to say here was the NWO team wanted to face Harlem Heat instead of the Steiners. So, or no, yeah, Harlem Heat instead of the Steiners. So, at the end of this hot tag and Scott hits the big move and, and the crowd is kind of into it, Vincent gets in the ring and just walks over to Booker T and hits him with an elbow drop and gets the Steiner brothers disqualified. So uh, Harlem Heat wins via DQ in 12 minutes and two seconds. And uh, the crowd is definitely kind of like, what the fuck at this? Yeah, it's a little bit dumb. Um, You know, it feels like every WCW pay-per-view event has Steiners versus Harlem Heat. Like, every freaking time we've had this match, like, we've had this match, what, five times? You say this is probably the most common match we've had on the show? I'm going to look up and see uh, how many times Scott the Steiner Brothers wrestled Harlem Heat. It's got it's got to be over 25, if not 30. But, again, there's not a lot to hate in this match, but there's also not a lot to really grab onto. Uh, Scott and Stevie sharing the ring together is just pure unadulterated meat in the ring which fucking meat dude which i i love seeing meat in the ring but unfortunately it's just like they're big but they can't move you love you love meat. you love you goddamn meat i love meat um i will say though book pointing at scott steiner and saying i want that punk ass bitch jumped his power level at least like 30 percent so booker booker young booker is gotta be one of the coolest guys to ever have been in wrestling period full stop he like he really made like saying sucka just the word just the word sucka itself be like like saying that it entered the vernacular because of him 
made that the coolest shit of all time. And he busted out a freaking full Nelson in this match, man. Booker was in his bag. Uh, th- there's a nice little pose off with Test of Strengths. By the way, when was the last time we saw a really like good Test of Strength buildup? MJF probably. No one gives a shit about it anymore. <laughs> Like, the, I mean, like, it's not 1981. Bring anymore. back the test of strength. <laughs> I uh, looked it up. There is a total of 36 recorded matches between the Steiners and Harlem Heat, which is actually fewer than I expected. How many on pay-per-view? I'm looking at how many on TV. Looks like 15 or so on TV. Um, and three on pay-per-view. Hogwild 96. Great American Bash 97, Fall Brawl 97. So all three that we've done before. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Booker, Booker hits a nice spinner Rooney into the Harlem sidekick. Uh, it was also really funny, too, watching Scott Steiner try and jump off the middle rope because he can't fucking jump. He's too big. Yeah. Uh, you Steiners know. are like. At this point, like, I feel like you're getting to the point where it's like they were like really athletic in their like when they were younger. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I see like I see Rick especially here um, and like Scott Scott definitely like Scott was always really big, but he got so big that he couldn't do the shit that he used to do anymore. It's kind of like what like like just seeing a pit bull like a, like or like a like a bulldog that's like so big and their face is so smushed that they can't even like breathe anymore. A little yeah, bit. It's, but, I get that vibe. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong either. Um, when the Steiners is like they can still do cool shit, you know, because like they're so strong, they can do stuff that like looks really impressive. But like when the Steiners were like go back like four or five years, they were fucking lightning, dude. I mean, they were fucking like you had to see these dudes to believe. I mean, look at Braun now. I mean, Braun Breaker is really just giving us a Steiner experience redux. He is both of the Steiners combined into one, like just fusion danced into one person. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. The one thing that I think is the dumbest thing about this, and maybe it's just because they're supposed to be heels, but it doesn't really feel like they're true heels, um, is Book being hyped about being the number one contender via DQ and yeah. not even reacting a little bit to the fact that Vincent essentially dropped an elbow. It wasn't just, and it wasn't a ticky-tack move. You know, Vincent really put some juice into it so it's not like hey that's you're hitting me but i i don't know it's just kind of dumb bad taste like that that is true like like they 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 like walk out and then you do see booker just like all right we won great job guys you know (laughs) cool thank like really dumb you did nothing you literally were about to lose dude like like book you're cool man but you're looking like a dork right now yeah like you look like a fucking like a total dweeb for this dude like he's just like all right cool i win (laughs) I, I can't wait to wrestle for the title next month. Like, dude, like you, you were going to lose. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It is. It is kind of funny. Like the way he reacts to it is kind of funny. Yeah, well, I mean, Harlem Heat's cool, so it doesn't matter. Well, Booker's cool. Booker's cool. Stevie Rice's brother. He's at least half cool. Big. Stevie Rice, big guy. Let me tell you. <laughs> next up. Um, oh, do we have to talk? Do we really have to talk about this match? We don't have oh. to. We could skip it. I will say this um, afterwards. I, I did mention this or I, I did not mention this, but I did write it down afterwards. Steiner Brothers beat the shit out of Vincent and uh, Doomsday Device Bulldog. Always cool um, from, from Rick Steiner hitting him with the bulldog off Steiner's uh, Steiner's shoulders. Yeah. So, yeah. Next up, here's a match that really didn't need to happen and was here. Um, and then like got way worse. Uh, Hugh Morris versus Conan Conan. I, I'll, I'll say this. 
Hugh Morris, you know, piece of shit. This is very anti Bill DeMott podcast. Again, look up, you know, look, you know, Google Bill DeMott, all the shit that he did. Um, he may be uh, a piece of shit and uh, a bad worker and uh, kind of just an ugly, unsightly looking dude um, and no charisma, yelling shit for no reason, coming out. Um, and Some of the worst ring gear you've ever seen. By all counts, a wretched human being that made life miserable for many, many people, but very agile for a guy his size. Uh, yeah, for five minutes. Yeah, you know, you know, moving around at the beginning of this match. I mean, this guy's probably like near 300 pounds, probably not quite three bills, but like up there. But moving around pretty well. Um, and then um, Hugh Morris throws Conan into the uh, ring steps. And according to Dave Meltzer, Conan legit injured his knee on that. And afterwards, this just turns into a rest hold match. They just do holds to each other. For, with just the crowd does not care um and then uh, like my my eye like just as my eyes are glazing over like really really hard hugh morris goes up for a moonsault and it's it's a spot where like hugh morris like he goes up and like conan's supposed to get over to the rope and like hit the rope and have him fall down right but conan like takes forever to get up probably because his knee is fucked up he takes forever to get up and get over and like hit the rope so Hugh Morris is standing there like in moonsault position while Conan's laying there for like a really long time and then just not fucking it's like just do the moonsault, dude. Uh, and then he just stands there and stands there and then eventually Conan gets over, uh, sweeps the legs out and then uh, Conan hits him with a kind of very low German suplex and then locks in uh, finishing hold the Tequila Sunrise, which is a half Boston Crab where he has like one of the arms trapped. And uh, Hugh Morris goes out. Conan wins the match. Ten minutes, 34 seconds afterwards uh, reported that they they had to like physically carry Conan out of the ring to the back. He couldn't like put any weight on his leg. Um, if he had a really serious injury, he worked through it because he didn't really miss much time after this. But. Uh, you could tell that something was something was bothering him. Uh, match sucked. Uh, Dave gives it minus one half star. That's generous, honestly. This sucked. Uh, the only thing I had was that the rolling clothesline was, you know, a cool looking move. But other than that, man, yawn. Just yeah. so really bad. And, you know, what you said, him injuring his knee on the steps makes sense. Considering, like, there wasn't a lot of things going on. Both these guys looked very gassed, which, you know... Demott one thing, Conan probably another. But also, can we just talk about how awful Demott's punches looked? Like, Shane McMahon throws a better punch. Very, very bad. Very, very bad. Yes. Yes, indeed. Very bad. Agree with you there. Um, listen, I don't, I'm not going to say a positive thing about this guy. I think he, <laughs> like, you know, at least someone like Ric Flair, it's like, yeah, he's a shitty guy, but God damn, could that guy wrestle? You know what, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yo, Bill Demott, you were a piece of shit and you're... Like I've never seen you have a good match, and you always look like shit. And you can't, and you can't talk circles. Yeah, like damn, bro, that sucks. What do you have? What, a moonsault? What is it? What is it that you say you do here, Bill Demott? I and do. Your worst ring name of all time, Horus. What the <laughs> fuck is that? Worst ring names, not just the one. He's had awful, awful names. It's like one of the fucking like fake ring names that like Chuck Taylor would come up with, like. 
Have you ever seen that list? I have not. Google that one. And I like that, like that, like pops up every now and then, like the list of fake ring names that Chuck Taylor came up with. We, we, we who could forget classics for build a mod such as Captain Hugh G. Rection and yeah. also General Rection and General E. Rection. Yeah, that's like I mean, that's like that's that's less that's like lower than like the Chuck Taylor being like, yeah, Dick the Hammer Dick. Like that's that's it's lower than that. You know what I mean? It's so dumb. It's it's not even trying to be cute about it. It's like at least like Dick the Hammer Dick is being very blatantly and blunt about your stupid, immature name. This is him trying to be clever. Yeah, this is this is worse than all sack Drew Gulak. <laughs> this is worse than that. That's um, fantastic. That's a good one. Yeah. Listen, look up the every every single time the 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 fucking Chuck Taylor names list pops up on on uh, the Internet. I always fucking I always get a good laugh out of it. Uh, so, yeah. Um, next up, we've got. Yeah, we, we talked about this uh, this public enemy promo where it's just just them fucking spewing nonsense. I, I can't even really relate what they said here. I could not uh, tell you anything either. Yeah. Uh, Murder on the not, ears. Crowd did not go for any of the comedy they were going for, and neither did I. It was just fucking weird. Um, next up, we've got, okay, you remember the, uh, I, I'm sure Angelo as a, as a WCW diehard, you might remember the Blood Runs Cold angle from 1996, 1997 <sighs> WCW. How could I forget Glacier and Wrath and Mortis? And Mortis, yes, uh, the, where they fucking, like, Eric Bischoff was like, hey, you know what the kids really like nowadays? It's 1996, 1997. The kids fucking love this video game Mortal Kombat, right? Everyone fucking loves Mortal Kombat. It's got its own, you know, it, not only is it a super exciting fighting game, but it's got its own fucking, you know, it's got its own vibe. It's got its own style, you know, uh, it, like people love this shit and think it's badass. So what if we did Mortal Kombat, but made it pro wrestling, right? This is going to be fucking locked in. We're going to spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars on uh, the entrance gear and entrance for this guy Glacier. And we're going to fuck it like we're going to make him a total rip off of Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. We're going to have this mystical fucking martial arts feud with other like fucking Mortal Kombat guys. And this shit will print money, right? Print fucking money. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds it sounds, makes perfect sense to me. Can you affirm to me that this will print fucking money, right? Yes. So we've got Glacier, who by all counts, really good guy in real life, trained a lot of people. Uh, but um, this fucking gimmick, insane. Uh, but total just straight up ripoff of Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. Taking on uh, Brian Clark from Chronic, uh, but he's uh, a.k.a. Adam Bomb. Wearing a fucking crazy helmet. Uh, his name is Wrath. It is Glacier versus Wrath. Um, Glacier, or Wrath, accompanied by his manager, James Vandenberg, a.k.a. Father James Mitchell. Uh, most recently seen doing cocaine on camera at the last NWA pay-per-view. Tight. Uh, <laughs> badass. And Mortis, a.k.a. Chris Canyon. So yeah, it is Glacier versus Wrath. Like, it's so funny when, like, they do these, like, fucking insane, like, grandiose entrances, and they have this crazy ring gear, and then Wrath takes off his fucking badass helmet, and it's literally just Adam Bomb from fucking WWF. 
And he's got like, again, just bog standard big guy with no charisma. Um, but yeah, it's Glacier versus Wrath here. An angle that, according to the announcers, stems from James Vandenberg stealing a mystical martial arts helmet bestowed upon him by his sensei. Um, from his time in South Asia. Yeah, from his time training in the martial arts in South Asia, which is the most Steven Seagal-ass shit of all time. <laughs> um, it's so cool. But yeah, so Glacier, who was a pretty, you know, pretty, pretty fun town. I, I, I actually do like watching Glacier. Um, he can do some, you know, he can do some neat kicks and stuff. He, he actually did kind of like at least try to back up the martial arts gimmick a little bit with the way he works. Where it's like Wrath is also supposed to be like a fancy like martial arts fucking Mortal Kombat guy. Like they were talking about how like Wrath is like a like a like a figure from his past and like you know, Asian martial arts, and he's just fucking, like, the most normal big guy wrestler ever. Yeah, Interesting. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, like, Glacier does some cool stuff. Uh, Wrath takes a bump into the steps. He takes that shit head first when he, uh, Glacier whips him into the steps. I was like, ooh, shit, why did you fucking do that? Um, Wrath then, uh, like, picks him up for a powerbomb. We have a spot where Mortis, so Mortis is handcuffed to the turnbuckle for some reason. I don't really know why they did that. I'm sure they explained it, but I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to give a shit. They probably couldn't afford the shark cage. Um, yeah, maybe not. Um, but yeah, they have Mortis handcuffed to one of the turnbuckles. Um, we have like Mortis kind of distracting Glacier. That allows Wrath to to cut him off. Wrath picks him up for a power bomb and then just fucking like whiplashes him off the top rope. That that was kind of nasty. Wrath, uh, you know, beats him up. Uh, hits a rolling cannonball off the apron, diving clothesline off the top. He, you know, he gets he gets a couple kind of high spots in there. Then goes up for a, a middle rope elbow, misses. Glacier gets a brief comeback, but then Wrath squashes him with a big sidewalk slam. Wrath goes up again. Glacier is able to crotch Wrath on the top rope by kind of like I guess inadvertently banging into the like like bumping into the referee and like knocking the referee into the top rope so that knocks Wrath down glacier hits a superplex um then mortis distracts him again he walks into a big back suplex finish of the match as james vandenberg distracts the ref mortis throws a chain into the ring tries to get it to wrath but throws it too far glacier gets it instead and then glacier knocks wrath out with the chain and Glacier gets the pin off the chain shot in 12 minutes and two seconds. Afterwards, Vandenberg is able to steal the key to the handcuffs away from the referee. They unlock Mortis, and then all three of them beat the shit out of Glacier. They cuff him to the ropes, and then they beat him up. Uh, and that's the end of the match. Really, again, uh, it looked unique, right? Like, the, 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 the entrance shit was kind of, like, different. But once you get into it, like nothing differentiating this match from any other match you would ever see. <laughs> that was a match that like, happened. It's also a snoozer. Like for all this, like, and that was, that was the issue with this fucking like blood runs cold shit is like, they threw a ton, like, like really a ton of money, way too much fucking money. Um, like you wonder how WCW lost like the absolutely comical amount of money that they did, like in the time that they did it, it's with shit like this. 
like just lighting money on fire for shit like this. And then like, like you create like guy guys with like cool gear and like maybe kind of neat looking entrances and then nothing past that. None. All the same shit. This is something that they should be being paid to do. Not that they are paying for. Yeah. They They should should be at integration. Yeah. This is like, this is like the opposite of WWE doing the fucking, uh, like the Mountain Dew pitch back, a pitch black match out match. It's the, it's the polar opposite of that. That was stupid, but WWE got paid to do it. WWE is lighting money on fire because Eric Bischoff, oh, his son likes Mortal Kombat, you know? And he's like, oh, I guess the kids are into this. Let's fucking, let's go, let's let's spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this. Beyond dumb. And also, like, if you're, I think we've seen enough ad integration matches that we don't, we, we know they don't work. Like, I actually think what WWE has done recently where they do more so, hey, we're going to have, well, we have the Slim Jim Battle Royal. All right, that makes sense. Battle Royals have always been like a cheap ploy to kind of get sponsorships. Always, Battle Royals have always been associated with Slim Jims. Well, it's just a sponsorship. You put a name at the front of the Battle Royal. Cool. You have a sponsorship. Um, yeah, that's, or, no that's no different than like, you know, turning on the TV and watching the Cheez-It Bowl. Exactly. Perfect oh, comparison. You know, I'm watching TCU and Cal play football, but it's the Cheez-It Bowl. You know exactly I mean? that. Uh, I I love actually when they do the ad integration with backstage segments or promos because they're just so off the walls bonkers that you never know where it's going to go. And it's just some dumb humor, which I generally appreciate. But something like this where they're expecting me to take it seriously is just so dude, it's so I'm, mi- missing the mark. It hurts. I want if I'm going to have content integrated into my like fucking brands brand content integrated into my uh into my wrestling i want it to be like like oh now i have to question whether biggie is going to fuck this pizza hut pizza (laughs) exactly like like that exactly (laughs) you know uh but it's like yeah like this this wasn't even that this was literally just like hey kids you like mortal Kombat, right yeah let's let's get some mortal Kombat in our wrestling then you'll love this right no just so like desperately and pathetically chasing the fucking like zeitgeist of popular culture in a way that WCW didn't have to do because they were in the fucking cultural zeitgeist at the time. They were it. They were fucking it. They didn't need to do any stupid shit like this. They were fucking they could print money hand over fucking fist if they wanted to because the NWO angle was such a fucking cash cow. They didn't need to do any of this. This is them like like. The poorest, the brokest motherfucker you know won the lottery, and now he doesn't know what to do with his fucking money. That's exactly what that is. Did not invest in a 401k or IRA or any retirement device. And it's fucking sad, but at the end of the day, when he goes broke, it's like, damn, like, I wish we could, I wish, I wish someone had been able to prepare you for this better, but at the end of the day, you did this to yourself, my dude. You really did. It's fucking sad. So bad. So boring, so bad, so just all around awful. Yeah, shit was boring. Here, though. Oh, this is some good shit. Get a good match here. I think we probably would agree the match of the night. Easy by far. So it is uh, our our one women's match. And I mean, let let me tell you, getting a women's match on a pay-per-view for either WWF or WCW in the 90s, in the entire decade of the 90s, is very rare. Um, Let alone one as good as this one. 
It is the WCW Women's Champion, the Dangerous Queen, one of the legends, one of the greatest Joshi wrestlers of all time, Akira Hokuto. Um, the reason why I do a Northern Lights Bomb, folks. Uh, she is defending the WCW Women's title in a title versus career match against the only woman who is actually like under contract to World Championship Wrestling, um, Medusa. Who, uh, yeah, if Medusa can't win the title off of Akira Hokuto, she will retire. And yeah, that would be one hell of a blow to the WCW women's roster, considering they have basically one woman actually signed to the company, and it is Medusa. Um, but this match is really, really good. Akira Hokuto, who was, for a lot of her time in Japan, a really, really, really good babyface, wrestling as a pretty vicious heel in this match. And throwing her all over the fucking ring to start this match. Um, and Medusa does a great job selling. Eventually, this will become a, a really good, like, work the leg uh, example of, like, working the leg and having it, like, actually matter. Um, Medusa, yeah, Akira Hokuto, just ruthless in her heat. Um, Medusa ends up tweaking her knee. He hits a, has a sequence where she hits a bunch of kicks and then does a double axe handle off the middle rope and comes down like she hurt her knee, like she tweaked her knee on the landing. And then Akira Hokuto just ruthlessly fucking immediately targets the leg and works the shit out of it like a piranha. Yeah. Puts her up in a in the big surfboard, which I no one can put like. One of the reasons why I'm I'm glad my my hips are not very flexible is I know I can never be put in this hold. Uh, <laughs> I know I can't be put in this hold, and no one can do it to me. So fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but she gets put in the big surfboard and then works her up into a very tight Northern Lights suplex. Um, Medusa gets a, uh, a brief, you know, Medusa gets like little brief flurries of action, but then Akira Kuto just cuts her back down. Um, there's a spot where uh, Akira goes up to the middle rope and then Medusa just handsprings up into a Frankensteiner, hits her with a fucking nasty powerbomb for a big two count. But her knee is like really too fucked up for her to like take advantage of it. And then Akira's back on her, hits her with a superplex, drops her then straight into a knee bar. She works on it, but then she gets to the ropes. Her last real uh, like kind of gasp here at the end. Akira Hokuto goes for a missile drop kick, misses. Medusa goes for a bridging German suplex, but Sonny Ono, who of course, hey, has to manage every single Japanese person who comes to this company. She, uh, Sonny Ono, working as the evil heel manager here, pulls out Medusa's leg, the injured leg, as she's in the bridge, and that breaks up the pin. Referee doesn't see it. Um, she sells the leg some more. Akira Hokuto goes for a diving splash off the top rope, and Medusa is able to get the legs up to block the splash, but in doing so just hurts herself even more. She tries to get up. Her leg gives back out on her, and then Akira Hokuto hits one of the nastiest Northern Lights bombs of her fucking career, drops this bitch right on her fucking head. It looks amazing. And she gets the t she wins the match, retains the title, and forces Medusa to retire in 11 minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, and, and this is one of the times that I, I really, you know, recommend whatever, whatever your thoughts are about uh, Dave Meltzer as a guy or as a, as a, as a reporter, it's, I, I always like reading 
his uh, his uh, stuff, you know, especially going back and reading this because he 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 turns out to be very prescient on this kind of stuff. He said, you know, because this is Medusa. Who was like basically the only woman on the WCW roster who's like really signed and being featured, like actually like wrestling people. And before that was that to the WWF in like 1993, 1994. Um, now in this angle where she has to retire, right? Dave, this is a very good match, but he says, and I quote, this result truly signifies the death of women's wrestling in the United States once again. And he says it will be years before you will see women's wrestling featured on like on American TV in any real way after this. And guess what? He was completely fucking right. When have a really, really good match here, I would say the best match of the show. But when you take your only woman and you're like, hey, we're going to do this angle and you're basically not going to really be a wrestler anymore because like we don't think the women's wrestling is really getting over the way we want it to. That's basically it because there's only there's really only WWF and WCW on TV and an ECW, which is like the kind of the hot, hot alternative. Women are basically only treated as sex objects there, too. So it's like, yeah, there's I hope you enjoyed this match. This is a really good women's wrestling match. You're not going to see any more of this shit for at least, you know, at least 10 years. You know? Yeah. I mean, even though they brought back the women's title when? In like 90... I don't know, late 99, maybe? But like, they didn't really, again, they didn't do anything. Right? No, they never did. So, yeah, this was, you know, fantastic match. And that commentary from Meltzer is really poignant. Um, but, you know, I, I just look at the match itself. This is fun. This is a very, very, very good match with a good story. That is a work-the-leg match, essentially, and I'm not normally someone that always goes for those kind of matches, but this was just the way Hokuto really, like, it wasn't even a soul desperation, but the the need to be violent and target the knee, she sold as, like, uh, as sport. It, it was really like, hey, yeah. you have a damaged knee, I'm going to target it. I'm going to break your knee. I and- always really enjoy, and I say this all the time, I, I, I always really enjoy the fact that, like, I know this like in kayfabe, this is a sport and these two are athletes that are attempting to beat each other in a wrestling match to win. Right. And I always enjoy when it's like you can see someone's like you can watch the match and like tell their strategy of how they're trying to like win this sporting contest and then like like, execute it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like feel like 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 this is one of those cases where like you see like, oh, like. The light bulb goes on for her like, this is how I'm going to win this match. It fucking goes for it. And Medusa, the entire match, sells that knee to death. Like, you look at Medusa selling the knee. She sells the shit out of it to the point that, like, the fans are like, like. It's uncomfortable to watch. (laughs) Mean Gene comes out to, like, interview her after the match. Like, oh, what does it feel to, like, lose? You have to retire. And the fans are like yelling at him, like, yo, leave her alone. Look at her. She's in horrible pain. Like, like the fans are like yelling at Mean Gene to fuck off and stop talking. Like, she does such a good job selling. It's yeah, like, yeah. N- not a great look for Mean Gene. Yeah. Um, like, Gene, what are you doing, bro? Yeah, what are you doing? Her career just ended. Her knee is destroyed, and you're trying to get an opinion from her. You're, you're an to idiot. Get a cheap scoop. Mean Gene, you yellow journalist. This is why no one likes the media. Uh,. <laughs> Uh, the power, although you know, as she's selling death to that knee, hits a brutal power bomb that you know, uh, 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 
I'm going to butcher her name. Hokuto. I have to keep looking at because I have it wrong in my notes. Hokuto. Oh, yeah, good enough. Uh, I, I, had, I have Hokuda in my notes. I don't know why. Uh, Hokuto. Again, then no cells and goes again, attacking the knee. Nice knee bar, brutal looking knee bar. And the, that brain buster just, again, looks like death. When she came out, like her entrance alone, just like her ring gear and everything, she has it. Like uh, it is not quantifiable, but you watch her walk out and compose herself in the ring. Akira Hokuto and then also, you know, uh medusa as well both these women just have that undeniable factor where you're like these get these people are superstars and i cannot help but be captivated by them in in terms of a wrestling sense yeah sure this this match is like just to kind of like illustrate um so the this the wcw women's championship um that akira hokuto defended here um it initially it, it, it was born it like it was originally awarded for the first time at Starcade 96 uh so just you know less like you know about 6 months beforehand right and Akira Hokuto won like beat Medusa in the finals of an eight woman tournament that was basically all Japanese women's wrestlers like it only like took place i think like in Japan uh, it was like seven Japanese women and Medusa. And then Akira Hokuto beats Medusa in the like the only one of these that is going to be like actually aired on WCW television is, is the one in Starcade. Uh, the great Mako Satomura, Mako Satomura in this one as well. She was like a rookie. She was in this tournament, which I think is a fun fact. But um, so Akira Hokuto holds the title from Starcade. Until this was her last match in WCW. She leaves and goes back to Japan after this. And then they just vacate the title. Wait. That, so she was the only holder of the championship. No. Because oh. in September in Japan, they did another. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. So it was. I think it was Gaia was their like kind of partner over there. Or they brought over some of the uh, the women's women from there. Um but another Japanese wrestling legend, Devil Masami, won uh, the WCW Women's Title at a live event in Japan, and then never defended the title in America. And then they just kind of dropped, like very quietly dropped it a few months. Ago. Do you think she had to return the belt, or do you think she still has it? I don't know. I think that's a really good question. I want to know where the WCW Women's Championship. I, I'm sure she probably returned it. But yeah, there are only two. Two women to hold the title, um, Akira Hokuto and Devil Masami. And then, yeah, I, I think this was probably the last time this belt, uh, like, the last time this belt appeared on TV or, like, was ever mentioned on WCW programming was right here. And they have the the only woman who is, like, contracted to WCW to wrestle, lose, retire, and then the winner just kind of goes away forever. And it's the best match on the entire freaking card. And they go out and they give you the best match on the fucking show. And then that's it. It's like, fuck. Damn. That's fucking cold. They did not give a shit, dude. That is crazy. Ridiculously dumb. It can be done. And they clearly got done here. It was just, oh, well, we don't want to invest in it. Yeah. So next up, we've got a death match between Chris Benoit and Meng. 
boy, that's a fucking grab bag of words that I didn't expect to be together. But hey, it's here. It's just a wild brawl um, that ends up getting pretty good at the end. Um, Chris Benoit hits a dive on Mang as he comes up the ramp. We're off and running. Jimmy Hart is trying to come to ringside to manage Mang, but Benoit chases him off right at the beginning of the match. And uh, we don't see hide nor hair of Jimmy Hart again for the rest of this match. Um, there's a really there's a spot that I loved at the beginning of this where so Chris Benoit gets the diving headbutt. He goes for the figure four, but it's like he goes to the figure four almost as like like a diversion. Like, you know what I mean? Like he goes for the figure four. And then once Meng reaches up to try and block it, he grabs the arm and immediately drops it into the crippler cross face. I was like. That's so cool. Like, he was not actually trying to go for the figure four. He was doing it to fake him out so he could get out the cross face. I, like, just, like, was, like, silently nodding, going hell yeah to myself. Strategy. That's fucking badass, dude. Um, Benoit does another, like, nasty move here where he picks him up like he's going to suplex him out to the floor, but then just drops him straight down onto the top rope while he's standing on the apron. Um... So in this case, deathmatch, it basically is like it's just it's kind of like just no pinfall. It's like KO or submission, I suppose, and no DQ, no countout. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it ends up being you know it ends up being fine. Uh, we're but we're basically doing like like KO and submission rules here. Uh, Meng, you know, trips him as he tries to come back into the ring and stomps him down. Big spine buster, big diving splash, uh, hits his big, you know, sm- or Tongan thrust kick. Um, then Benoit hits a couple Germans. There's a cool spot where uh, um, Meng is able to, uh, you know, like he catches him within the Tongan death grip, but then Benoit is able to escape by like scrambling over the top rope to the floor. Um, so, like, just desperately escaping, like, really putting over the hold, like, desperately trying to escape it and, like, throwing himself to the ground to get out of this hold. Um, tries to get back in. Meng stays on him. Big back suplex. Goes for a frog splash. And then the rest, last part of this match is Benoit again trying to reapply and reapply the crippler crossface and wearing him down and eventually getting it on. Because Meng goes for the frog splash, misses. Benoit locks it in. Meng escapes. But then Benoit, you know, catches him in it again. Meng gets out again. But then Benoit is able to catch him. Hits him with a dragon screw leg wick back into the center of the ring. Then locks in a third time. Spends a very, very long time kind of weakly reaching, reaching for the bottom rope. But then eventually he very weakly taps out to the crippler crossface. And Benoit wins the match. 14 minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, they sell the brutality of this fight between these two guys so much that they both, they do stretcher jobs for both of these guys. They both get wheeled off on stretchers, and then Meng fall in our laugh out loud. Uh, <laughs> this is hysterical. <laughs> laugh out loud moment of the show is Meng toppling off the stretcher when Mean Gene comes out to the like he comes out to the stage to like shill the hotline again, and then he goes, "Oh my God, look over there, look over there! Oh my God, Meng just fell off the stretcher!" And Meng is just lying there in a heap on the fucking ground, having toppled over on the stretcher. These are He's medical like, professionals. I was like, boy, <laughs> fucking boy here. These are medical professionals, and they had their their had their patient fall off the gurney. Yeah. Oh, um, man. By the way, speaking of falling off the gurney, Daniel Jones re-injured again. 
touchdown Tommy DeVito is back in the game for the Giants, folks. God, that game was awful. Don't remind me. Uh, uh, anywho, I, 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 focusing on this match, I could not get into this one, which is sad for me because I was like, you know, Benoit and Mang are both two WCW guys I really generally enjoy watching. Um, it just, I, this kind of felt a little bit like a Lesnar match. Like, it feels like Mang they brought out as, you know, to really put over Benoit. There was a lot of, you know, the crossfaces, you know, cross five crossfaces in a single match, and a lot of them repetitive. I, I kind of get the aspect of, hey, you're trying to wear them down with your move, but... I don't know. I like when it's slapped out once and then that's the finish as opposed to the tease, tease, tease. Uh, you know, and it really does establish like the crossface as a brutal move at the end with the stretcher job. But I, I, this was just an OK match. It went. It was fine. It was just not a lot of noteworthy things for me. There's also the line. I think it was from the uh, the brain where he said it's a death match. So they have to break with the rope. That makes no goddamn sense. Yeah. It's a death match. Thank you. Because, yeah, they're still, like, like doing fucking, like, uh, like rope breaks and shit. Or, like, it's like, oh, like, he's trying to reach for the rope. It's a death match! It's a death match. Why are we doing rope breaks? Again, I, like, I never understand this. I see this all the time where it's like, oh, like, a match that's, like, no DQ or whatever. They're still enforcing rope breaks. You'll have the ref count for it. It's like, oh, what are you going to do if you count to five, asshole? Disqualify me? <laughs> Suck my dick. Uh, I, I don't know why that always annoys the shit out of me, and you see it all the time. You see it all the fucking time. Beyond dumb. Um, but uh, yeah, th- we also get a really good dusty line. Uh, the breathing apparatuses are located in that vicinity. Great yeah. dusty sentence. Like only fucking Dusty Rhodes would say a sentence like that. <laughs> um, dusty just like say say th- th- not even the English language, but it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> like it's dusty folks it's the american plumber language that's all that matters but uh yeah i mean it's really like you you lose me the second uh like you start talking about rope breaks in a a no dq match right so dumb i don't give a shit about your match anymore because it's like obviously you don't give a shit um now if you want to like what does make sense is like oh mang is reaching for the bottom rope because he can use that to pull himself out of the ring and escape the hold or something like Which that. Which we've seen before, too. Like, that it, makes total sense. Use it for leverage to escape the hold or something. And it's like, yes, absolutely. That makes total fucking sense. Please. Like, if that is the story you're telling here, then I'm all on board because that makes total sense. But when it's like, oh, he needs to get to the bottom rope so the ref will break the hold. That's not how this fucking works. That's not how this fucking works. Again, just fucking like just you lose me instantly. You lose me instantly. I don't want to be like it's just a hard and fast rule for me. You lose you lose me the second you start fucking talking about that, which is the same reason why I don't like the the, going back to like uh, Glacier and Wrath, you know, Undertaker as a spooky mortician ended up making sense at some point. Right. There are things that like wrestling is silly, but it has to make sense. There's nothing more silly than no. having video game characters as wrestlers as the rope break in the death match. Here's I disagree with you on this. I don't think wrestling has to make sense necessarily. Wrestling is its own alternate universe. It's wrestling is fake. You know, it's no. an entirely different universe where you can do whatever the fuck you want. But I just want like I, I feel like 
like, yes, it's it's fake and it doesn't really have to make sense, but it should at least follow its own internal logic. Yes, that's fair. Like, you know, I don't give a shit about like fucking, you know, uh, like, oh, we need to have video oh the video game characters. That doesn't need to make sense. It's fucking stupid bullshit. It's wrestling, right? Uh, if if it had gotten over, we would have said it was it's, this is the coolest thing ever, but it didn't. So it's stupid and they're stupid for doing it. But like, let's just at least like think for two seconds about like any sort of internal logic here. Right. Like think about it for two seconds. That, that'll make it a little better. Yeah. Like Orange Cassidy, like his entire gimmick is that he doesn't give a shit. Well, why is he wrestling then? Well, he's it's booked in matches and it pays him. And, you know, he's got friends and he's going to fight for his friends. And the characters evolved to the point where it's like, hey, you know, he's a reputable wrestler. He's good at this shit. Yeah, he might not care, and he's, his entire gimmick is like he doesn't give a shit. But he'll give a shit when something's on the line. He yeah. values his integrity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this, you know, again, again, it's it's like a nitpicky thing for me. But it just you lose me the second you start doing that shit. Yeah. So next up, we got football guys, folks. Hey, we've been talking about football. We're watching this on Sunday on on a, on a, on a November Sunday at five ten p.m. with an utterly awful four o'clock slate outside of NFC East shit. I've got the Red Zone channel open in my other tab. Uh, fucking Raiders have the ball right now. Uh, looks like they're about to punt. Um, but you know, hey, it, honestly, Aiden o- going going starting Aiden O'Connell over Jimmy G. Right move for the Raiders. Jimmy G has looked like dog shit. You got to see what you have with the rookie. Am I right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Anyway, we got football guys here. It is two time all pro with the Chicago Bears. Our boy, Steve Mongo McMichael, taking on future pro football Hall of Fame defensive end Kevin Green of the Carolina Panthers. I always think of Kevin Green as a stealer. I don't know why. Well, yes. I mean, he he probably most remembered as a stealer uh, had probably the majority of his you know like all pro like he didn't play with them long but like i think probably his peak years were with the steelers right in the early 90s i believe so but like he was only there for like three Uh, seasons it wasn't long oh yeah he only yeah that's that's true only played three years with the uh three years with the steelers that's that's true yeah that's surprising yeah i was like wait there's no way he only played three seasons with the steelers and longer with the rams than he did the steelers yeah i i think of him as a Steeler too but yeah um kevin green future pro football hall of famer you know five time all pro um he is yeah they're doing a they're doing a fucking gimmick here where they got the football players wrestling each other kevin green popped up a few times here and there um wcw i guess you know one of those deals where it's like hey this is a guy who really likes wrestling and you know wants to fuck around and you know, he's a big enough name that WCW will let him do it. Um, and to be honest with you, for a guy who was in his third pro match, um, you know, they don't ask a lot from him. And Lord knows Mongo is not exactly a ring general who's going to carry him through a great match or anything. But there's something there, I think, a little bit with with Kevin Green, obviously a good athlete, um, does a pretty credible job selling, you know, executes the the, the few things they really ask him to do. It's got some got some fire, some energy, you know, I would be willing to to see more of Kevin Green if he ever really gave wrestling a try. But, you know, only had, I think, five total matches as a wrestler, um, but always did, a, a, a again, a pretty credible job for a guy who only had a handful of matches and only really ever got to train like a little bit here and there. Um, Kevin Green uh, wearing Panthers colored gear. His family is at ringside. They're all wearing Kevin Green 
Panthers jerseys. But at the time, Kevin Green was actually a free agent and would sign about a month later with the 49ers. So uh, not actually a member of the Carolina Panthers at the moment, although he was on the Panthers the year before. Um, imagine like like this is the equivalent of like imagine like T.J. Watt coming in and like wrestling Baron Corbin like now. That'd be fantastic, honestly. It'd probably be a like, solid like, match. So this would be a much better match than this one because like Baron Corbin would probably actually like get get T.J. Watt through like a good match. Remember when Najee Harris and Pat Fryermouth were on AEW? Well, the the gold standard for this is uh. The D'Angelo Williams impact run, which lasted like two matches, like at the end of his NFL career. Um, but like, I think it was like right after, like he might've still been on the Steelers at the time. He did like a couple matches for TNA, but was like really good. <laughs> like actually <laughs> legitimately really good. Like, holy shit. If D'Angelo Williams wanted to do this full time, he would be a fucking star. Type. Yes. Um, like literally look it up. Like he's actually pretty mind blowing how, how good he is for a guy that like, Basically, like, didn't train at all and, like, jumped straight into it. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah, Kevin Green, you know, working as kind of like the fiery baby face. Mongo, the experienced wrestler, you know, he knows the tricks. Stomp his leg out, continuing to work over the leg, which has got to be really, really stressful for Kevin Green because he's, he's you know, he's still a free agent. You know, he's got to keep his, you know, nothing, nothing is going to fucking torpedo his free agent uh, stock. Like, picking up a knee injury wrestling Mongo McMichael, folks. Um, but you know, this is Mongo working over the knee. Um, and then, uh, green comes back again, very limited, but you know, limited offense from Kevin green, but he does execute what he's asked to do. He hits a Fez press, hits the 10 punches in the corner. Um, but then Mongo drops him into an atomic drop and hits a drop kick. Mongo also hits him with a, a tilt a world backbreaker at one point. Um, again, green does a pretty credible job selling, Comes back with a big kick to the corner, a kick out of the corner, diving shoulder block off the top rope, clotheslines him on the floor. Uh, Deborah, his uh, uh, Mongo's wife, later uh, Stone Cold's wife, um, like tries to distract him, but Green is able to continue to stay on Mongo. Tries to do like the three point stance into a running splash in the corner, misses. Finish of the match, Jeff Jarrett who was aligned with uh, Mongo at the time. The Jeff Carney Jeff, himself. Yeah. Uh, still going strong all these years later. Double J. Deborah distracts the ref as Jeff Jarrett tries to, comes down and tries to hit Kevin Green with a loaded briefcase. But Kevin Green moves, but pulls Mongo in the way, and Jarrett accidentally knocks Mongo out. Kevin Green crawls over, gets the pin in 9 minutes and 21 seconds. So Kevin Green... Babyface football player gets the win over the heel football player, Steve McMichael. Um, again, yeah, Kevin Green, for a guy very limited and I don't think had trained very much, um, does a decent job. Um, I, I will say this. Match is fine. I, I wanted to like to, to illustrate like how much like like what like I, I wanted to quote Dave Meltzer here. Because, again, I, I, I respect his kind of, like, historical... You're uh, such a Meltzer mark. I, I respect this kind of, like, historical perspective of shit like this. He was, like, pretty crazy high on Kevin Green as a wrestling prospect. I will, I will quote this. With the exception of people like Owen Hart, Hiroshi Hase, and Jun Akiyama, all of whom had put in far more time training for pro wrestling, I don't know if I've ever seen such a natural from his third match as Kevin Green. 
due to his age and the fact that he's probably never going to be a full-time wrestler. He'll surely never be the wrestler the aforementioned three turned out to be. But he is amazing, amazing given he's only had a few weeks total of training time. This was only his third pro match. And McMichael is hardly the great worker that, uh, that Ric Flair or Arn Anderson might be to carry him. So Kevin Green getting some big fucking props from people for his performance in this match. I mean, you can make comparisons, too. It's like saying, oh, yeah, the guys that have the best touchdown interception ratio in a season all time. It's like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Nick Foles. Uh, you know, I, I think Kevin Green, you know, did show they had some chops. And if he ever did this full time, he probably would be an incredible uh, worker and wrestler, at least just from a, a specimen perspective. He kind of gives a lot of Jake Hager vibes in this match, just as a big, strong dude who can rough you the hell up. I'll say this. Kevin Green, who, again, had only trained like here and there, was a football player who had only like. Like I think Meltzer said, it only trained like a little bit. Um, no actual wrestling background either. Um, he was better in this match than, say, Gable Stevenson was in his match against Baron Corbin, who was a much better worker than Mongo. I didn't and think Gable was that bad in his match. I thought he wasn't that good in his match. You know what I mean? He had a couple nice suplexes, but I think by and large, people like just wasn't that impressive i mean the crowd hated him anyway it's hard to kind of like deal with that maybe pressure from his perspective i know but like gable stevenson a guy who is from uh you know like the highest possible level wrestling background imaginable he's an olympic gold medalist right and you know amateur wrestlers olympic wrestlers tend to translate to pro wrestling very very well um but with much less training and with with much less training a much worse opponent and no wrestling background. I thought Kevin Green was more impressive in his match than Gable Stevenson was with much more training, a much better opponent and one of the greatest wrestling backgrounds of any wrestler in history. Yeah. When you lay that all out, uh, yeah, Just, Kevin, Kevin Green's a goat. I'm not saying like Kevin Green was unbelievable or anything. They, they, they didn't ask him to do that much. I thought he did a perfectly good job doing what little they asked him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I just want to put it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, damn, like it is pretty crazy. Like, it's like, like what? Like, you know, when I, when I read, when I read uh, uncle Dave's, uh, like assessment of him, like, holy shit, what an incredible natural talent. It's like, it's, he didn't do anything that amazing or anything, but you have to also have to consider that wrestling is fucking hard to do. Really? You just said it was fake. Not 20 minutes ago. Yes, but it is also hard to do. <laughs> no, I'm uh, kidding. Yeah, it, it, like, again, like I said with Green, he really gives off some Hager vibes, and, you know, Hager is his own type of worker. I think he has actually much more, like, natural kind of babyface energy. Than yes. Hager. I don't really... <laughs> I'm talking about work style. I'm not talking, like, maybe charisma. I, I think just from, like, what he can do in the ring perspective. I disagree with you. I don't really see any Hager at all. I think he's just, he's a big blonde guy. Maybe that's it. Um, that might be it. Uh, but, you know, getting paired with McMichael here, I, I get why it makes sense for why WCW would want to do this match. Unfortunately, McMichael didn't. Let's just say this. If this was Kevin Green versus another kind of Kevin Green type, it'd probably be a much more entertaining match. Unfortunately, Mongo was a guy who, while he had a good look, understood maybe the character part of the business more so than the in-ring stuff in the business. 
Because Mongo as a character would always kind of like he had good like expressions Mongo. and reactions, but in the ring it was just ew, I hit love and miss. Uh, God bless Mongo. Uh, best, best, best. Uh, always best wishes to Mongo. I know he's he's battling ALS. Oh, always. I love Mongo. He always entertains me. Like when he's when he's when he's not wrestling, he always entertains me because he's just like an entertaining and like kind of charismatic and funny guy. Mm-hmm. And when he's in the ring, he's entertaining because he sucks. <laughs> You know, like he honestly, he he always sucks. But I love him. You know, he's Mongo. You got to fucking lose. Who it's, doesn't love Mongo? It's why him and Jared always made like always made so much sense as a as a pairing because Jared would get the most out of the carny bullshit he could do. Yeah, you gotta love Mongo. I, every time Mongo shows up, I'm like, you know, like in my mind, whenever Mongo shows up, like this match is gonna be bad, but I'm gonna have a smile on my face the whole time, baby. <laughs> In retrospect, does anyone have as much like natural babyface energy as Mongo looking back at watching his matches? It's just it's it's not even babyface energy. It's just there's just something about that guy where I just I, I look at him and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad you're here, Mongo. You know what? I, I, I know this is not objectively good. Any of the stuff that you're doing. But God damn it. I'm having a good time. You you're know? here. And well, that's what matters. I'm glad you're here, Mongo. Thank you for thank you for being a friend, Mongo. So, yeah, next up, um, it's time for the NWO shit. We've had very little NWO shit um, outside of the Vincent uh, run in early on. And and this was still 1997. You know, we have not expanded the NWO to the point where there's 14 different warring NWO factions and there's 800,000 people in it, Um, which is I was thinking about this like. The Bullet Club started off as an NWO kind of ripoff, and now it has really fully achieved its uh, its its like final form as a Bullet Club as an NWO ripoff because there's eight hundred thousand different factions of it, and there's a million people in the Bullet. And it's across like several different freaking organizations. Yes, it's actually fucking. Um, but yeah, so we now finally have the NWO shit. We have no Hulk Hogan making an appearance tonight, but we do have the. Other two main original three members of the NWO in this match, the tag team champion outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, coming out first, defending the world tag titles against the salty old guy team of Ric Flair and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Objectively, a very fantastic dream style tag team. Yeah. Uh, Moline, Illinois, very far from Flair country. But the Nature Boy getting a very big response from the fans in the Quad Cities. There is a guy with a fantastic sign that says, On the eighth day, God created Rick. I popped huge for that sign. Um, and a note, uh, this is kind of while we're doing the Sting versus NWO angle. or We're kind of in the, we're, we're, I think we're in the period where Sting is like looking down on the rafters every now and then. Um Rowdy Roddy Piper using the Icon nickname before Sting did. He's got a t-shirt that says Icon, and there's multiple signs in the crowd saying the Icon Roddy Piper. Um, Ric Flair lighting him up with chops, getting the crowd hot, uh, but then uh, they end up getting heat on Flair. Um, Ric Flair does the uh, like the whip into the corner where he rolls out. People call that the Flair out because he did it, uh, where he rolls out to the apron up the, uh, up the turnbuckles. And then turns around and struts right into a big boot from Kevin Nash on the apron, which was really funny. Just the visual of him just like starting to walk down the apron and just walks right into a fucking boot from Kevin Nash. And then 
Uh, Sean Waltman, aka Six, who was the uh, was in uh, fucking uh, the NWO at the time, future the, the, later to be known as X Pac and DX. Um, he trips Ric Flair running the ropes, and Scott Hall wipes him out with a clothesline. Fun fact, Angelo, you might not know this. Six was the name that Sean Waltman took in WCW because one, two, three, kid, one, two, three adds up the number six. You know what? I'm glad we got an answer to that. Did you know that six is afraid of seven because seven, eight, nine? Oh, that's fucking crazy, dude. Imagine booking six versus a guy named seven in a. Uh... Trent seven, six versus Trent dude, seven. Six versus Trent. Bro, I. Sean Waltman still wrestles. And someone needs to fucking book that. Six versus seven? There we go. That fucking badass. That's dude. probably my best idea since the Drew Gulak fiend combo. My fucking mind. I, I need to like I'm gonna like start fucking I'm gonna I'm gonna start a fed just to book six versus seven. That'd be a fucking <laughs> Anyway, um I'm sure Sean Waltman's uh fucking rate is crazy. <laughs> um but yeah. So um Kevin Nash, by the way, hits one of the biggest sidewalk slams of his career on Ric Flair, just crushes him with this thing, like jumps into the air and squashes him. Um, very fun dynamic with the babyface team of Ric Flair and Roddy Piper just blatantly cheating as much as they can. And it just being a babyface thing because, it's, you know, it's Ric Flair. He's going to fucking cheat. That's one of my favorite things about, like, especially later period Flair when he was a babyface. It was just like he cheated all the time and everyone was like, well, he does that. We love him anyway. He's just trying to win out there. Yeah. Um, Ric Flair just hits him in the nuts, uh, uh, hits uh, Nash in the nuts with the referee turned around, um, gets the hot tag to Roddy. Roddy's hot tag uh, consists almost entirely of eye pokes. um, And then uh, they cut Roddy off again. Um, Eventually, uh, Sean Waltman takes a shot at Roddy while the referees turn around, and Ric Flair goes after him and Ric Flair pummels them. They fight up the ramp to back to the backstage area. And then Roddy is left alone and he is two on one now against the outsiders. Ric Flair does not come back. The re- and, and the announcers have no idea what's going on. They speculate that the NWO might've attacked Ric Flair, but regardless of what happened, Ric Flair is gone. He does not appear again for the rest of the show. And he just leaves Roddy Piper out there to fight both Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And Roddy fights back with all his heart. And they give him quite a bit of offense here as he's trying to fight both Kevin Nash and Scott Hall at the same time. Eventually, the numbers catch up to him. There's no way he was going to be able to beat both these guys at once. He eats a big boot from Nash. He hits the outsider's edge from Hall. And that is a wrap. The outsider, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, retain the title 10 minutes and two seconds. I don't know what I was expecting from this match. I was still kind of wanting a little bit more. I think we got the flare hits, and then they got to the Roddy hot tag, and then it's like, all right, let's wrap up here. Roddy. I, I think ultimately Roddy couldn't do much. Yeah, I, I kind of gathered that. He was looking a little bit, you know, I'm not the picturesque of perfect health, but he was looking a little bit thick in the gut there for a guy who was, I think during his high, his like highest period was, you know, relatively lean. 
Very good shape. Yeah, Roddy uh, was up in very good shape. So, by the way, awful looking tag belts. Some of the worst that I've seen. And, th- like, this includes the modern version that looks some cheap like, Roman ripoffs. That include the current WWE <laughs> tag titles that look like absolute dog shit? Yeah. At least it's simple dog shit. This is just, like, very much cheap. Hey, I found this knockoff world title belt in the discount bin at Costco. I will say this. The worst looking tag belts in the world right now are the New Japan IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles that literally look like they're made out of plastic. They look like- <laughs> and I, and I watched every fucking match of the Super Junior Tag Tournament, and I loved every minute of it, but goddamn, those titles look like shit. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, Roddy... Kira, by the way, one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. He fucking rocks. Roddy get... I mean, only Roddy could get a pop for a sleeper hold. Like, the crowd pops real loud when he locks that, that shit in. That that was his finisher. I know it was his finisher. It's just it's just funny. It's, it's it's like the same thing with the DDT. The DDT was a finisher once upon a time, and now it's like a what would you call that? More of a transition move, or a, it's just uh, you know it is like people don't really do DDTs anymore, just as DDTs. <laughs> it's like you do it if you're like like if, like just like you're just doing a DDT. If you're if you're like maybe you're doing it as a hope spot, like mm-hmm. when you're beaten up as a baby face or like maybe you'll do it like when you're like just starting out and you're trying to figure out like actual cool moves to do. <laughs> you might do it just a regular DDT. I love a DDT. If you're doing a DDT, you're trying to do like a really crazy fancy way to do a DDT. You know what I mean? Yes. Like the one where you kick off the t- uh, turnbuckle. Yeah. Tornado. Uh, yeah. This was like, I guess. It was it was a match that was always going to be this kind of match. Um, the re- there's a moment where Ric Flair it seems like they he ushered the ref to his corner to take him away, as opposed to the ref trying to break apart Flair from rushing the outsiders, which was just kind of a little bit funny because it sounds like oh yeah the ref's dealing with Flair. And it's like it really looks like Flair's pulling him over to the turnbuckle. Which just- is what he did. That was also <laughs> really I didn't mention that, but yeah, the referee like Ric Flair literally grabs the referee and pulls him with him over to do the dis- like I don't know if like. That was just like the referee was like super out of position and Ric Flair was like, hey, get the fuck over here, dude. We're doing this now. Like, it had to be what it was, honestly. But I laughed at that. Yeah, he totally just grabs the referee by the shirt and pulls him over to the corner. Like, hey, I'm distracting you now. You need to distract me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I finished felt anticlimactic, but it kind of again, this was it. I don't know what I was expecting. This was always going to be the match. Uh I'm going to compare it to Attack on Titan, which the last episode just aired this weekend. I didn't know. I did. Well, you haven't seen. I'm not going to spoil anything. Uh, I didn't know where the show was going when I started it. But considering how it ended, uh, it was the only place the ending could go. And I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about it. God, I hope Aaron dies. I fucking hate him, dude. I've hated him since like episode one. Such an annoying little fucking shithead. Well, honestly, we'll find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Like before he became like actually the villain of the show, I fucking hated him. Well, well, good for you, Mister. I'm I'm not I'm not wrong. I'm just early. Anyway, it is main event time, ladies and gentlemen. We got Michael Buffer out here, of course, because it is a WCW pay per view, and it is Macho Man Randy Savage versus the 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 Prince of Jersey, Diamond Dallas Page. In a Falls Count Anywhere match. Um, Spoiler alert. This Falls Count Anywhere match ends in the ring. So why the fuck was it a Falls Count Anywhere match? 
That's a minus right fucking there. But we start off. Yeah, it, we we have a little little misdirection by the babyface DDP to start out. His music hits. We have his wife, the Diamond Doll, Kimberly. She comes out standing on the ramp, like waving to everyone. That gets Macho Man and and Miss Elizabeth's attention on her. And then DDP runs from behind them from out of the crowd and jumps Macho Man from behind. And we are off to the races. This is a pretty high-energy brawl that goes all over the arena. It's it's pretty entertaining as far as, you know, this 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 match goes. I mean, I, I really this is one of those matches that I feel like for a like a false kind of anywhere kind of brawl type match with an old Randy Savage, this is probably about as good of a version of this match as you're gonna get. Honestly, it's pretty entertaining. And, you know, like it doesn't drag at all for 17 minutes. Um, DDP starts with his ribs taped, selling a, a, an injury to the to the abdomen. He hits a pescado to the floor, immediately starts selling the ribs. And we start, you know, brawling into the crowd, which is, of course, required for a Falls Count Anywhere match. Um, there's a funny spot where DDP throws him through like a door and then waits for him with a crutch in his hand. He like waiting for Macho Man to come back through the door. And then once Macho Man walks back through the door, he hits him with the crutch. He cracked him with that crutch, too. I thought that was funny. Like Macho Man's like, hey, where'd he go? And then he just fucking whacks him. He's like standing off to the side. It was a wooden crutch, too, right? Like you hear the snap of the of the crutch breaking on his back. We end up working back to the ring. Macho Man throws powder into his eyes, breaks some object over his head. I don't know what this was, the thing that he broke over his head. And uh, Tony Schiavone even goes like, hey, I don't know what that that was that he just broke over DDP's head, but he certainly does. Um, Savage unwraps the uh, rib tape, stomping, targeting the midsection of DDP. Um, Eventually. um, Shit, I was I was, you know, I was comparing, you know, the NWO to the Bullet Club before. This is like a house of torture match because we get like four different ref bumps and like four different referees. Um, eventually the, the Macho Man at this part of the match gets annoyed with, uh, you know, regular referee Mickey J and just turns around, punches him, pile drives him. We get another referee. He took that pile driver like a champ too. Yes, he did. Posted for it. Did a great job. Um, fucking takes that pile driver. He's out. We get another referee in. Macho Man immediately fucking tosses him out of the, out of the ring. So he's gone. And so you figure, so Nick Patrick runs out and you think, oh, this was the fucking strategy. This is why this makes sense. Nick Patrick was the evil heel NWO aligned ref. A fantastic storyline that we all loved. Must have been going through. This must have been the plan. They wanted to get rid of the other referees because, you know, Nick Patrick was not assigned to this match, but they wanted him on this match. So what do you do? take out all the other referees, right? Then they've got no choice but to put Nick Patrick down here. Except Nick Patrick runs down and then just starts acting like the most normal, regular babyface referee of all time. Um, like, he comes out there and stops uh, Savage from beating up Kimberly. Um, he, like, gets involved later on in, a like, a pretty annoying way, but it's like, he is not acting like the NWO ref here at all. So you really wonder, like, like... I guess the whole point was just Macho Man was insane then? Macho Madness, David. It's the it would, madness. It would make sense if they were just trying to get to the one specific referee who they knew was like their guy. But that's obviously not really how it plays out here. 
Um, so yeah, Savage turns around, punches the ref, and we get new refs in, blah, blah, blah. Now Nick Patrick's here. Um, remember when I, at the top of the show, when I talked about how they have a random picnic area here on the stage? Check off picnic. This is where, yeah, it turns out we got a whole picnic area here set up on the stage with people just sitting there eating, you know, having a picnic at here at uh, Great American Bash. DDP throws him into it, breaks a plate over his head. Um, DDP is beating him up. And then I, I popped huge for Dusty Rhodes going. He, Dusty Rhodes starts yelling at DDP and he goes, Dusty, behind you, there's a barbecue pit. <laughs> And he hits him with the grill. TDP's like, all right, Dusty, I got you. He hits him with the barbecue pit. Um, body slams him through a picnic table again. There's been no reason for this picnic, this random picnic area in the tunnel of the fucking Quad Cities Arena to be here until right now. I am thankful that it is. Yeah. Um, eventually works him back to the ring. Um goes for the diamond cutter but then savage turns him around um throws him into the steps this is like the really weird part here so macho man pulls up the mats on the floor to expose the the concrete and he's about to go for a pile driver on the concrete and then nick patrick who is supposed to be the evil nwo referee walks over and stops macho man from Pile driving DDP on the concrete, which not only a, you're supposed to be the NWO referee. Why are you stopping Macho Man from doing anything? And b, it's a Falls Count Anywhere match. There's no DQ. You have no cause to get involved at all. It's you the long no to stop anyone from doing shit. You are here to count the fucking one, two, three, and that's it. He can fucking pile drive him on the floor if he wants. He could shoot him in the face with a fucking AK-47. It's a... It, there's no disqualifications. Fuck off. It's the long game, David. He's playing the long game. But it, it like, that doesn't make sense on really any level whatsoever. And then, uh, I think, I think deservedly, Macho Man punches Nick Patrick in the face after this. Another ref bump. And that one, I was like, you know what? You know what, ref? You fucking deserve that one. You, you earned that one because you were you were over fucking stepping here, buddy. Um, so, yeah, now we have a third referee dead. Savage also beats up a photographer for no reason. Um, DDP comes back, hits him in a chair, hits him with a chair. Savage comes back by hitting him in the nuts, goes for a suplex. DDP reverses the suplex into the diamond cutter. But there's no ref to count the pin. Then we get another NWO run in. Scott Hall comes down. Um, when DDP finally goes for the pin, Scott Hall runs in and stomps on Nick Patrick as he tries to count the pin. Um, Scott Hall comes down. He has his tag team title belt with him. He swings with the belt for DDP but misses. DDP beats him up, but then Savage hits him with the belt. Um, Scott Hall hits DDP with the outsider's edge. He has a hell of a fucking time getting DDP up to actually hit the move, but eventually he does it. I was very impressed because he lost his grip and then was somehow able to readjust with one arm. Yes. Um, hits the move. It was a struggle, but he hit it. And then Macho Man, the one really aesthetically pleasing thing about this match, Macho, even in the even in his 40s, a gorgeous diving elbow from like 
three quarters of a way across the ring, too. Picture perfect. I mean, this thing is fucking beautiful that he hits on a DDP and they grab uh, Nick Patrick's corpse and toss it back in the ring. And he slowly counts the pin and uh, Macho Man Randy Savage wins the main event and falls count anywhere match. 16 minutes, 56 seconds. And they cut to credits right after the bell, which means they were over fucking time and they got to go. We got to go home. Right now. <laughs> Let's, do it. Let's go. And then they, they go home and that's that's the end of the show. We are out of time. Uh, yeah, I, I will say this, though, as my like real only negative thing about the match. Not sure what about this main event is supposed to get me to tune in for whatever is the follow up is. It kind of feels like, oh, the NWO beat the crap out of DDP. What? Yes. OK, cool. Yep. All right. Yep. Where do we go from here? Yes, sir. <laughs> Not really interested. I was like, all right, so DDP's dead. I don't really care anymore. That's that's how it is. Um, by the way, speaking of wrestling merch that we all need, I need the self high five. Let, let yeah. me get one of those. That's. I was thinking of wrestling merch that I really need. Uh, this is totally unrelated, but I was <laughs> thinking about this the other day. The the Mike Bennett Matt Taven hit him in the nuts. What was it? Punched him in the nuts. Hit him with a pile driver t- t-shirt. That's, that that's sure? gonna go down as like the next like uh, like fucking uh, APA always pounding ass t-shirt. It's I, like, I don't know. Next strong. Like, next strong is gonna be another one. Just like I love wrestling t-shirts where it's like if you wore this in public, someone would call the police on you. <laughs> like, that's my favorite type of wrestling shirt. Oh, uh, they're always good. Um. Yeah, this was, you know, again, very – they kept the pace well considering the fact that you have DDP and Randy Savage here who are – like, I know this is like right around peak DDP and it's kind of post-prime Randy Savage. But they keep – It's like prime Randy. I mean, this is a really good-paced match. Um, yeah. And you have a lot of, like, good violence spots, which are just, like, utter, like, silly, nonsense, extreme extreme stuff. The picnic table spots, anything around the picnic table was high comedy, but also super entertaining. But also hits that serious note, because, like, hey, it's a death ma- It's not a death match. It's a fall ca- falls count anywhere match. They're going to beat the shit out of each other. And, hey, they, anytime you get to use a grill as a weapon, that's going to get a, a, an extra, like, star bump in my book. Um yeah. The dime, it's cra- Dusty Rhodes. When Dusty Rhodes, when I heard Dusty Rhodes say the words uh, "DDP <laughs> behind you," there's a barbecue pee in his fucking Dusty Rhodes voice. I was like, I'm writing this down. I'm I'm writing this down verbatim in my notes, and I'm gonna do the Dusty impression when I say it. It's a picture perfect moment. Um, and then you know you get you get the diamond cutter spot, which the crowd pops loud for. And then of course we get the classic NWO nonsense, which. I know this was tame. It was only Scott Hall, really. So not a lot to really, you know, it wasn't overbooked, but it's just like, all right, why? There's also the, the, the argument of like, okay, this is your main event. This is the, this is the main event. This is Sa- Savage versus DDP. But why is it the main event? Is it just because it's these two guys or is there like more to the story as to why this is like this was a feud really worthy of being a main event spot? I don't know if it's anything – again, I so many fucking twists and turns in this shitty uh, WCW booking that I, I really have no idea. But, you know, it's – it's DDP was one of the big baby faces opposing the NWO. You don't have Hogan there. I don't know if Hogan really would have deigned to work with DDP anyway because he was a selfish piece of shit. Um, so I don't know. But- it's, just, it's just hard whenever like – 
it's one thing if it's another type of belt, like uh, AEW just did All Out where the international title was the main event. It's another thing when there's like a very big gimmick blood feud kind of match or like it's a Hell in a Cell match. It's the only Hell in a Cell match on the card. That makes sense. But for a Falls Count Anywhere match between two guys who aren't world champion and, you know, I love DDP and I love Savage, but I, I, I don't know. It, it just it never ends up hitting the notes you hope it does for a main event spot behind you ddp i just love dusty Rhodes like yelling behind you ddp now that did behind you ddp the barbecue like he's like someone like yelling it's like like in a scary movie like you're yelling like no don't go in there like i I don't know man i love i love dusty Rhodes like living vicariously through ddp yes it's, this match was actually entertaining. No, it was it was entertaining. I do want to say that. It was a very fun time. It's just like, it was a fun time. I'm not sure it was a main event match. There were some laughs. There were some spoofs. There were some goofs. There was some, there was a, a good unprotected chair shot to the head. Um, guys broke some shit on each other. Yes, Dusty yelled, behind you, there's a barbecue pee. <laughs> uh, and I had a good time. I just again, it's it's the same it's the same kind of stupid panic bullshit that I always get mad about where it's like referee, why are you doing anything in a no DQ match? Like, fuck off. This is not about you. You know, don't 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 go in there and make it all about you, motherfucker. It's not about you. Fuck off. Leave me alone. I want to watch. I want to I want to enjoy these two old men punching each other. Exactly. So that will I guess, take us to our two and a half marks. Angelo, you start us off. Sure. I'm going to go with a negative half mark to this era of WCW's singles mid card specifically. Cody Humoris, Glacier Wrath, uh, Benoit Mang, which was, I think, uh, a taste may vary. Benoit, you know, one of my favorite workers to watch, but just a death match with DQs. I, it feels like WCW just did not care about any logic, reasoning, or people, or investment into the mid-card. It's just like, hey, we're going to have a good opener, there's going to be some shit in the middle, and we're going to get to the finish, and that's all anyone wants to watch anyway. Yeah, at least when, like, for instance, like, AEW will just give you a random, like, oh, here's two mid-guard guys, they're going to wrestle. And it's like, do they have any reason to wrestle? Like, not really. It's like, oh, well, like, the other night, like, they did just, like, Trent Beretta versus Daniel Garcia. Which was a banger. (laughs) Do they have any reason to not like each other? I don't know. But the match is going to be good. It's like, okay, well, I just watched a good match and I had a good time watching it. You know, and they generally tell a really good story, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not the case in WCW this era. Just it's it's always a slog to get through. And there's sometimes some really awful shit like Conan Hugh Morris specifically, yeah. like just awful tasting. Yeah. Sometimes you're forced to watch Bill DeMott wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next up, one mark is the chemist. I've mentioned this before, but the chemistry between Dusty, Tony and the brain I love commentary booths that treat it like, hey, you're watching the game with me and I'm going to talk like you're in the room with me. It's just a great kind of feeling. Like, obviously, Tony's there to call the play-by-play, but the commentary they have beyond just like, hey, Tony's calling the play-by-play, but like talking about the match and talking about the things that are happening in the match, it it feels like you're in the room with them and it just brings that like – you know, it enhances the experience. And that's the whole thing of commentary is that you're supposed to enhance the experience. You shouldn't be taking away from anything. You shouldn't be distracting. You should just be enhancing. You're a catalyst. And and this this trio always did, did a fantastic job of that. Yeah, I always really enjoy when I see these three guys together. 
And then my two marks, I mean, there's nothing else I can really go to on this card in my eyes. It's Medusa, uh, Akira, Hokuda, uh, Hakudo. Just a fantastic, fantastic wrestling match from top to bottom. From the entrances to the performance to the characters to the story they tell to, you know, ultimately the conclusion, which, yeah, it's a de- it's a damnation for women's wrestling in America and WCW and WWF. But as a story in its own right is utterly fantastic. And honestly, it's a must watch match. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic match. Best match of the show. Um, I'm going to start off. I'm going to give my negative half mark to like, yeah, where did Ric Flair go? Yeah, <laughs> we have a serious unresolved question here uh, in the lore of uh, fucking uh, Great American Bash 97. Because like, where did he go? He just left and he disappeared and they never followed up on it. He's just gone. Motherfucker's gone. Like, where is he? Like, he would just like. Could have won the fucking tag titles. He just left. It's the exact opposite of Orange Cassidy in the bathroom. I mean, it is. It is exactly. It's it's the polar opposite. Where did he go? He's just gone. Okay, well, that sucks. I guess this match doesn't matter. You know, why should I give a shit if one of the guys in it doesn't give a shit? You know, exactly. I'm going to give him a negative half mark to that. I'm going to I feel like we're always required on this podcast whenever he's here. One full mark to Dusty Rhodes, who is as entertaining as ever on this show. I just there were a lot of moments where Dusty was just making me laugh to myself, Um, especially the barbecue pit. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think like literally like it's been an intrusive thought of mine, like the last like 24 plus hours since I watched this where I'm just thinking to myself behind you, there's a barbecue (laughs) popping into my brain and I can't like get rid of it. Um, and then I'm going to give my two marks specific, also something, uh, surrounding the women's match, but I'm going to give my full two marks. And this isn't just limited to Akira Hokuto, but whoever makes gear for like the Joshi wrestlers, Japanese women's wrestlers, they always, and this is every fucking Joshi ever have the best fucking gear of all time. And I want to know who the fuck makes their shit. Cause it's like, yes, not only do they tend to be like, you know, like galaxies ahead of everyone else in terms of like, uh, in terms of just pro wrestling in general, but their gear looks fucking insane. And I need to know who makes their shit. I will, I will pay hundreds of thousands of yen to get, to get good ass gear made by those people. Uh, so, but yeah, like it's, it's always like wherever, whatever, they always have fucking crazy, awesome gear. So that will wrap up our coverage of WCW. Great American Bash 1997. So that'll bring us to our final order of business. Angelo, I'm going to hit the randomizer and find out what we're going to be watching next time on the pod. So as I pull this up, what do you want to see? I think I want some NXT. Let's get some NXT on the card. But I'll also give our listeners a quick plug. Go check out Captured Lightning's YouTube channel where you can see a fantastic championship match between uh that features our very own david moses taking on sturdy sal what's his last name Estrada, Estrada, and dylan mesh sorry yeah. it's, it, it, it knew it started with an m but yes. just yep. a very yep. good championship match from top to bottom you will be fully entertained very fun very fun match to do well angelo I've got some news for you. I hope you really liked last time when we watched Spring Stampede because we're watching Spring Stampede again. We're God staying- freaking damn it. Uh, we're watching Spring Stampede 1999. 
from uh, wrestling hotbed of the world, Tacoma, Washington. Main event, DDP versus Hulk Hogan versus Sting. <laughs> Can you stop fucking barking? He's barking at every every single time I say someone's name. DDP versus Hulk Hogan versus Sting versus Ric Flair in a four corners match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. Shut the fuck up, Mo. Rey Mysterio versus Billy Kidman. We've got Hooventude versus Blitzkrieg. I'm pretty sure we have not talked about Blitzkrieg before on this show, but we he, definitely have not. Fucking rule. Um, yeah, uh, we got Disco Inferno on this show. That's gonna suck. Uh, the Sandman's real short, shitty WCW run. He's on here. Um, so yeah, next time on the show, WCW Spring Stamp 1999. So. For my good friend Angela Gleason, my name is David Sadman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.